We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Breaking down early 2023 ADP using great tools over at Rotoviz. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I've got Gretch on my newsletter at bengretch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. We obviously talk a lot about the awesome tools at Rotoviz. And Sean, you've pulled some early ADP data uh, from the FFPC, I think. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think you said it was about 10 drafts. And so we have this first look at what 2023 drafts might be like. Uh, You mentioned on the last show, but I had written an article uh, for the newsletter for Stealing Signals, um, I guess last Saturday, that sort of went through the same concept. I looked at one specific draft that I saw on the Twitter timeline. You were mentioning that to me a little bit before the show. And it's a fun thing to do. Like, I had some some thoughts in that write-up. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. It's very early. And one of the things that is definitely true is if you go look at the really early drafts from January, early February 2022, it looked nothing like what we saw in August. This will look nothing like what we saw or will see in August of 2023. There will be movement. Um, It might be the case that some of the things that we talk about here are things that other people will argue as well over time, and and we'll be able to identify some of the movement. That would be one of the sort of advantages of doing this if people are, are drafting early is to try to find guys that might be risers later in the offseason, might be fallers, or good avoids in the early part of the offseason for the you know winter and spring drafts. But we do have to keep in mind, obviously, that none of this is set in stone. It's very preliminary, and yet it is fun to just sort of see where things landed right as we come out of 2022 which was a year that was obviously pretty interesting in fantasy football it was a little bit unexpected in ways it was a little bit expected in ways a lot of the top picks did well and scored a lot of points and and ADP was correct in that regard you look back at 2021 it was kind of the opposite where a lot of the top picks in 2021 didn't do particularly well you had a lot of guys coming out of the middle rounds to be league winners, the Cooper Cups, the Debo Samuels. This year in 2022, the first two rounds, very uh, accurate in terms of whether or not ADP predicted who scored fantasy points. We also saw a lot of injuries, and then that's going to impact. I mean, the, the way that the market is playing early on, 
a lot of different injured players, I think is really interesting. We have rookies that are dropped in here. So just a ton of things that we can discuss as we look ahead to a long off season and, you know, free agency and the draft and all those things. But what 2023 drafts might be like six months from now. And it's always so fun to jump into these, see what people are doing. You get that itch to go draft yourself. And there are some prices and some player targets that you just can't wait to hit on. You mentioned that the prices won't be the same in August. And one of the fun parts about these FFPC never too early best ball tournaments, and they have one for the regular scoring or the regular format and one for Superflex. Superflex, obviously, a lot of fun as well, is that you do get some values that are no longer there. I had a never too early best ball tournament team with Zachary Kruger advanced to the playoffs this year. And when we were looking at that team, there were some mistakes on it. And yet we had like seven players who in August were drafted in the first four rounds. And so you're basically getting three extra rounds worth of studs. If you hit on the right guys early, there's no guarantee that you're going to, but we all like to think that we will. Right. And so that part of it is a lot of fun. We also do know that even though prices will change, there's going to be a lot of anchoring to these initial drafts. How the earliest drafters decide to select players is going to really form the foundation for how everybody else drafts the entire rest of the year. So these prices are very, very important, that part of it. Also, something then when you're seeing these early prices, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be something we have to deal with all the way through if there are mistakes you could potentially benefit for months if there are players who are overdrafted that you kind of like you, you know you may have to wait you may not be able to get that player in 2023 because if they're overdrafted early then you're sort of stuck with that in many cases for the entire year then Colin and i did a couple shows over the last two weeks where we looked at some of the early rounds here but what we're going to talk about today kind of ranging all across the different topics, look at some things positionally, maybe look at some guys on some different teams and how teammates are being drafted. You had some great notes in your ceiling signals post about where the rookies are going, about where the quarterbacks are going, how you want to attack, say, that second mini tier of tight ends. I'm excited to hear if you think that the ADP in this is, so this is 10 early drafts in the best ball tournament. I think when you get 10 and when it's in the tournament here that uh, it's not to say that the drafters are right, but we do have a decent sense of, of kind of where people are going to be going. What's the buy-in for these? So this is going to be a 125. 125 buy-in, got solid money online. You, yeah, it's a it's a decent sample, right? So what's the, the first thing that jumps out to you here? We have... Uh, immediately, it's the first round. So, I mean, I'll just read it off and close your eyes and tell me if this isn't a 2022 draft. It's Justin Jefferson 101, Travis Kelsey 102, but Jamar Chase, Christian McCaffrey, Cooper Cup, Austin Eckler, Tyreek Hill all the way up at 107 now, which he wasn't going there last year, but he was going mid-second to late second, two, three turn. Jonathan Taylor 108, so he's fallen, right? But we still have the, the same big three receivers in the top five with Jefferson Chase Cup. We have McCaffrey up there. We have Taylor falling back a little bit to the RB3 spot. Eckler moving up a little bit to the RB2 spot. Kelsey moving up a little bit. It is tight end premium. And then after that top eight, and, and we have Hill joining. After that top eight, 
Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs, Saquon Barkley, CeeDee Lamb. It's the same three wide receivers that we saw in that 109 to 112 range very frequently in 2022. And Saquon Barkley wasn't there for the whole offseason last year, but he finished in August about 111. That's where we saw him very frequently. I look at that and I go, I mean, yeah, a lot of these guys had good years and there was no reason to necessarily push them down, but drafters don't know how to respond, I think, to 2022. They're looking at it and saying, well, I'll just draft it the way that I, I I've never seen this in my, and what I can recall looking at early ADP the next year where the top 12 picks were so overwhelmingly littered with players that went in the first round of the year prior, or the couple names that are different. And really actually, I think the only name that's different is Tyree Kill. He was a second round pick. This is such a similar first 12 to what we saw in 2022 drafts, even I mean, there's a couple guys, Taylor falling, et cetera, but even where they're going, how the top three receivers are viewed, how the three receivers at the back of the first round are viewed. There's a lot of these guys that are going really close to where they're going last August. And that reinforces or underlines the fact that 2022 was a brutal season for the young players. It was a rough season for injuries with some of the most fun young guys. You have Brees Hall here going at the 205 you had javante williams going at the 412 both of those players we had projected to be first round picks in our so way too early <laughs> or mid-season or, or pre-season exercises where we would say you know who, who is going to be the 2023 first round injuries have taken those guys out deandre swift another player who actually played extremely well when he was on the field but he falls into the really mid to late third because of injuries there that now have him looking like I'm actually a pure committee player for his career, but he's already lost key years at this point. Now may be a committee type of guy, now a high scoring committee player, but you lose that potential first round possess. One of the things here, Ben, is that Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and those first three picks, those were guys that we said, I mean, they could jump. They'll be the players next season at the very top you nailed that i'm looking at our august uh boards you had jefferson as the 101 for 2023 in august i still had mccaffrey taylor one two and chase three jefferson four uh you had jefferson chase one two and then we redid it in season and that was the one where we kind of flipped you then had mccaffrey as your your pick you know after six weeks or eight weeks or something as the 101 and I had Jefferson 101 at that point. But yeah, you nailed this back in August that Jefferson would jump to the 101. What do you think about that? Do you think that's right? I do. And I think it's safer than having a running back there. Now, when you go back and you look at what's happened in the past, you're obviously dealing with just very limited, specific historical events when you're focusing in on one spot. But there has been this very unlucky element to the 101 where the running backs who have been drafted there have had such poor injury luck that the 101 has been a catastrophe. Every year, people want to have the top pick because you can then take whoever you want. I mean, there's nothing better than just being able to take your guy and not having to worry that anyone else in the draft is going to take him from you. But the results have been terrible. And a little bit before that, you have this stretch of time where Antonio Brown 
is the receiver kind of competing up in that range. And he goes off for this string of fantasy campaigns where he's almost untouchable. We do know that there are some slight differences in the positions in terms of how likely you are to stay healthy when you have the huge workload. I think when you have Justin Jefferson's scoring upside, when you have him in the specific offense that he's in now, when you have the youth and some of the floor elements that come with the age range that he is in, when you have the position there of wide receiver, it just it sets you up so well. That's not to say that he couldn't regress some, because frankly, I mean, Justin Jefferson has set a standard that is basically impossible for anyone to live up to, including himself. And yet, even if he drops off of that, even if he does miss a game or two, even if the Vikings offense evolves in a way next season that is not quite as favorable for him, I mean, you're sitting there with Justin Jefferson. You've got to make a lot of mistakes as you build around that pick to not have your team be in the mix, not only for your league title, but tournament victories as you look down the line. Definitely. And I, I, I agree with that. I think it's going to be fun this year to play with, I mean, it, it's tough for those of us who love taking receivers, but to, to play a season where I think probably so. And we, we said it's, it's Jefferson Kelsey chase so far in the tight end premium, obviously most other formats, you're not going to have Kelsey that high. I think even a tight end premium, he's not going to stick at one Oh two. He'll be 34 in October, turned 33 during this season continues to just be absolutely fantastic. But I thought we got enough positive signs from other tight ends that this year doesn't feel as thin. Now the tight end position always plays out thinner than it feels, but like the Hawkinson trade and how he played with the Vikings the rest of the way, he's spoiler alert, a late second round in this early ADP. Um, Andrews is still going in the second here. Kittle is a late third. Kittle has the great run late in the season for San Francisco. Pitt's still going in the fourth. Goddard is another name I'll mention. Uh, that I think looked strong this year and better than maybe I expected him to in a way that makes him a viable second-tier tight end that adds some stability and some bulk to the position. Waller's still going in the fifth as a guy who could bounce back. Then you have Schultz and Ingram in the sixth, Fryermuth in the seventh. Ingram's another one that kind of came out of nowhere, but if he stays in Jacksonville, probably a good bet to have another solid season. There's a little bit more depth into this tight end 8, 9, 10 range Fryermuth had a good second year than I think there was last year where we had like Zach Ertz going tight end eight because no one really knew what to do. Ertz, uh, maybe not like the worst pick of all time, but I just felt like that was overpriced because he was older and, you know, had, had already had some signs of falling off and just a little bit of a run at the end of the year prior in 2021 with Arizona where he looked good probably deserved to be more in this like tight end 13, 14 range last year, but he's going tight end eight, nine, because there was just nothing to that position last year. Feels deeper. think that's going to ultimate, and with Kelsey being a year older, ultimately push Kelsey down a little. So it'll be a year, I think, where you have sort of Jefferson Chase at the top. Maybe McCaffrey settles in, but he's a year older too. There's not a clear other running back. It's funny to look at, like, I mean, we have Kenneth Walker here in the later part of the second round. I'm looking at Sean, where we ranked guys in August and then again in season. Walker's a guy that popped up in our first round in season. Or at least I, I guess I had him in the first round. You had him in the second round in season. We did not have him in our first two rounds preseason. ETN's a guy you had in the first round preseason. I had him in the early second. And then in season, we had both moved ETN to the first round. And this was probably done. 
not long after the James Robinson trade, I would imagine. That's about when we were doing the in-season update. He comes in in the third round in the way too early ADP we're looking at here at 302. So some of those names that were, you know, you mentioned Brees Hall. He gets hurt. Uh, uh, Javante Williams is the other one that you mentioned. Some of those names did not make the jump at the running back position. There's just not somebody to compete with Jefferson and Chase. There isn't. Now, I, I do think that Walker and ETN are two names who are obvious risers, where once you get to August, unless things really deteriorate, and we do know that as the offseason progresses, occasionally teams will drop some extra competition and even elite competition in in a way that just, you know, now you're going to have a split pie such that Nick Chubb has dealt with over the last several years to where it's going to be difficult for them to uh, basically the players are being drafted at their ceilings and you want to avoid picking those guys at that point. But unless we get something like that for Walker or ETN, I would expect them to move up really to the one, two turn. Now there are a limited number of players who can actually go right there. And so there's more competition as you move up into that range. I think that there'll be risers. I think that Josh Jacobs, unless free agency, takes a pretty dark turn for him. Just, again, the entire offseason in terms of how that all works out, I think that he's going to rise a little bit. He was simply too good, and running backs, when they are good, are too valuable for him to be a late second-round pick. But as you mentioned, I mean, you don't have the stars there. And one of the reasons that Walker and Etienne are going at this range, I think that they're going to rise. It's almost inevitable that they rise. But these prices probably represent a little bit more of a fair value unless they take that step forward as receivers. Now, I expect both of them to do that, but their teams have definitely injected, and I think especially with ETN sort of frustratingly, have injected some uncertainty into what the overall and like final ceiling is going to be. He just, he looks so good out there. He's so electric. The offense is going to score a lot of points. You've got to give him the ball. you got to throw the ball to him some, or this 2-3 turn. Yeah, I mean, the 2-3 turn is just where you, end up in terms of what your value is yeah the the receiving didn't develop for him well enough we get Ramondre Stevenson into the third round that's a name I put away our, our boards but I assume one of us had at least mentioned him as a honorable mention at some point looks like we did not have him in our first two rounds at any point but he has a really strong season and winds up now in the third DeAndre Swift falls to the third Najee Harris falls to the third Joe Mixon falls to the third you have Dalvin Cook falling to the fourth you have Aaron Jones falling to the fifth you have Alvin Kamara falling to the sixth and James Conner in the sixth that's that group of Leonard Fournette falling all the way to the tenth those those guys were going mostly second round third round Ezekiel Elliott in the tenth David Montgomery in the tenth that's that group of 25 plus running back Sean that we warned about in preseason and then also in the uh in-season redo of our 2023 first round we've dropped most of all those guys out when we were looking at it the ones that did stick I mean Christian McCaffrey is still there Austin Eckler is still there he's pretty old as older than than he seems Saquon's not like old old but he's still up there Derrick Henry is at 203 here Nick Chubb is at 212. He has obviously a great season. Josh Jacobs has risen all the way up to 210. Um, he's not in that, that older range, but that's another running back that's interesting to point out there. 
But you have a lot of that group that was going in the second and into the third that I just mentioned, including all the way down to you know Leonard Fournette. He was a second-round pick in most drafts last year, third-round pick. A lot of those guys have fallen now in early drafts, which sort of we expected and understood to be a possibility. Some of them still had decent seasons and, and fell regardless. But that's – I mean, it's interesting to see that there's not a lot of depth at either the running back or the wide receiver position through the first few rounds. Part of that's because we do have quarterbacks going really high, which you mentioned earlier. We have a lot of tight ends. I, I just went through all the tight ends, but there's six tight ends going by the end of the fourth or by the early part of the fourth round and then four more by the early part of the seventh round. I don't think tight end 10 was going 704 last year. That seems, I mean, maybe in tight end premium, but that seems high. And then you have a lot of QBs. I'm kind of struggling with what to make of that, where I feel like there are interesting names a lot lower than I would have expected at both the running back and the receiver position. And at running back, you mentioned the veterans who are falling. So even when a good year for veterans, you do have these guys drop down. You want to be a year early as opposed to a year late. Sometimes when you're a year early and get it wrong, people want to think of you as an ageist or a skeptic, but it's just, it's risk management and it's upside accumulation. So you want to make sure that you are pulling the trigger on these running backs in terms of jettisoning them from your dynasty teams, in terms of just not taking the risk, avoiding them, getting on to some different players as you go through. Joe Mixon, I mean, a lot of these drafts will have taken place before you get to see the AFC Championship game where you realize that he's basically not even the starter for the Bengals anymore. And so that price there, I mean, it would be shocking if that holds up. He should be going three, four rounds later at this point. I mean, you're basically getting an Ezekiel Elliott type of play, even though there's not a clear-cut Tony Pollard on the roster, but you don't have to have that clear cut Tony Pollard in order to make the move there. There are some fun guys a little bit later. You talk about some of the values you had mentioned in your ceiling signals article that Gibbs seemed to be going early. Now he's his average spot here in the early sixth, quite a bit later than the draft that you were covering. But when he comes in below guys like cook and a possibly injured Williams, an Aaron Jones, a Damian Pierce, an Alvin Kamara. If you can get him after Kamara, that feels like a really good price to me. You see J.K. Dobbins, who's going to be a year further removed. Now they're going to go to a more pass-centric offense, probably. That's what we have gotten the impression of as they've gone through some of their coaching search elements, as they look at that offensive coordinator position. And yet that too could end up really benefiting Dobbins. I know that I was on Dobbins last year and it didn't pan out. Sometimes you can go too far the other direction where once you get burned, you're very hesitant around six price on someone who, when he did play, looked like one of the five best running backs in the entire NFL at running back 23. I think you got to have some enthusiasm there. And then there are some other interesting names in here. Miles Sanders, people talk about what a huge hit Miles Sanders was and how it's so obvious that he should have been drafted earlier you have a couple of bad games. You have a month where you, you don't score a lot of points. And then in the playoffs, he's been, again, not even necessarily the clear-cut starter. He has a situation here where he's basically back to last year's price. That is interesting, controversial, and probably something that we'll get into in more depth as we go through the offseason. We have Rashad White in there. It sounds like Leonard Fournette could get cut. That would be an interesting play. A.J. Dillon, 
I don't think that his situation has really changed that much from a year ago, and he's much, much, much less expensive. This is more the price range where you'd actually want to take a risk on him. And then someone like a Tyler Algier who blew up down the stretch despite being in a horrific Falcons offense. And then James Cook. I mean, James Cook is going to be the guy for the Bills in 2023. He's coming in at the end of round eight. Ben. That kind of raises an eyebrow. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of running backs in that range that that raise an eyebrow. Miles Sanders at 7-11 is a guy that people talked about shouldn't have lasted till there all year this year because he had such a great year, and yet he's going in the exact same range, which I think is kind of you know humorous. He's a free agent, so maybe there's some concern that he'll leave, uh, that the Eagles aren't going to want to pay him. Cam Akers is going... 703 now. And that's a guy, I mean, you just talked about with Dobbins. That's another guy who we knew Achilles injuries were like 18-month injuries. I think there was too much optimism coming into this year. We talked about that a lot, Sean, in the offseason. He's a tough guy to place, though, because you knew Sean McVay can really lean on a running back. And I mean, middle of the season, it looked like he's going to be gone with the Rams. And there was going to be maybe not a lot left to his career, but he winds up lasting. Daryl Henderson gets cut. And down the stretch, Akers looked like the pre-injury Cam Akers enough so that, I mean, we knew the Achilles takes time to recover from. I'm pretty interested in getting it back in on him, much like the way that you described Dobbins at 7.03. If I can get him in the seventh round, I mean, he probably should be like a fourth-round pick, right? Yeah, there are a lot of question marks there in terms of what that offense is going to be like. Will he get enough high-value touches is he the same guy? Was he even really the guy before the injuries? And I say the guy in terms of, you know, was he that big talent? But in the seventh round... To be clear, I don't want to take him in the fourth. But don't you think when you look at some of the other guys that are going in the fourth, he should be... Like, shouldn't the running back drafters be liking him more than this? That's is what I'm asking. He should very obviously be going ahead of James Conner. <laughs> yeah. A couple of picks ahead of him there connor probably in a better position to survive in arizona than Fournette is in tampa bay the contract and their positional depth all of the things that they're going to have to change but it is interesting to see and again i think you want to be out a year early as opposed to a year late but where are you on these quarterbacks i i a quick note here, you mentioned the tight ends kind of went through that. I think that Pat Fryermuth is the very easy top priority when you look at the first 10 rounds. For him to be going at tight end 10, he is the most obvious player to take the TJ Hawkinson leap. Hawkinson, someone you know, we emphasized last offseason, and really it's a trade that you wouldn't have expected that does act as a catalyst for the big jump. But Fryermuth, the person who finishes out the early stage of his career, the first couple of seasons, where the second half of his second season, a little bit disappointing, but doesn't in any way undercut what he is, who he's been, that offense should take a big step forward yeah, next before year. We, before we blow up you know, a good sleeper tight ends ADP too much, let me ask you about Hawkinson. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you with Frymuth. I think you're making a great point. But Hawkinson is going 209 here. That is um, 
I mean, that, that buys into the trade and what he did with the Vikings big time. And if he can do that over a full season, he can probably return value here. But you're you're a huge Hawkinson fan. So this is one where I'd love to hear if you think in tight end premium he should be the tight end three at the 209. I, I am a huge fan. And similar to Mark Andrews in 2021 being a big part of the best ball teams that I had success with, Hawkinson was that guy in 2022. One of the hard parts of any sort of seasonal fantasy is that you have the big hits and then you've got to be really careful about your guys the following year because the prices just change so dramatically when you do hit and, and it's not you when the guy hits. And so from that perspective, I guess I don't think that we have seen enough it's not a long enough track record of immense target numbers. Kirk Cousins probably going to be the QB, which injects some uncertainty. I think if you don't have a clear-cut superstar in these first couple of rounds, I'd be reluctant to pay the tight end premium prices because a guy had a hot finish. So I I mean, I think that you want to find the next person to deliver that for you as opposed to trying to chase those points because those points are gone. And that's not to say that Hawkinson won't have a good season. I think that he will. And we do know that if you miss on tight end in tight end premium formats, you're chasing those points the whole year. You can have a very good team and just losing so much value every week at tight end means that and you're looking at your roster, you're like how can this roster – not be at the very top of my league. It's like, well, you're giving up a lot of points in this one spot. And there are only so many starting positions. So you can't afford to give those points up, but still price matters. Yeah. The other, and that's the other thing about tight end premium, they, they should go higher in tight end premium because you're describing how they can have so much more of an impact, but the opportunity cost equation there is, you know, something I've been trying to keep in mind more in tight end premium is different. The, the running back and receiver, player that you have to give up at 209 you know the next two running backs next three running backs josh jacobs nick chubb travis Etienne, next couple receivers t higgins garrett wilson devonta smith as opposed to regular ppr or half ppr he's probably more like a fourth round pick in those formats maybe he makes more sense in those formats and, and i know you're doing this with some of the tight ends last year where over on underdog i know you were a little more excited about like a hawkinson even where you could get him really late and the he should go later when it's not tight end premium, but the opportunity cost is a real thing in terms of how you build that roster. It's a totally different running back and wide receiver group that you have to pass up to make that pick in the fourth compared to the second. So maybe he's just not someone that you can pay the price on a tight end premium. Maybe you can consider it in other formats, depending where he lands, but I'm with you that that stands out. And I, I mean, I'm I'm probably more so down that line as you just described than than even you. But as a big Hawkinson fan, I was curious your thoughts. So it's interesting to hear that that you even seeing the the virtues of the player more than anyone that I know probably are are a little bit um, wary of that price as well. One other thing I want to circle back to before we get to the QB, Sean. You mentioned Gibbs. He is he is six oh three here on average. I like that price. The one that I looked at, he was, uh, I think, 312. He was a third-round pick. And so I sort of argued that 
we have Bijan Robinson, who is in this going 202. And in that draft, I think he was a late first. That's the rookie running back that everyone is talking about that is going to be this really high pick. Um, and in today's NFL, maybe that means, you know, in the teens of the first round, as opposed to the top 10, as we saw with some running backs in, you know, five, seven years ago when Saquon Barkley and Fournette and Christian McCaffrey and those guys all went in the top 10 picks, probably aren't going to see a running back in the top 10 anymore. But maybe we see him at 15, maybe we see him at 19. If he does go that high, it does put him into a pretty good class. Landing spot's still going to matter. Sean, you and I talked a little bit about him before the show and his prospect profile. And maybe, you know, if we have some time, it'll be worth diving into that, or we'll certainly talk about him this offseason. But I, I had argued in that other draft board that I looked at that Gibbs was maybe being pulled up. There's that magnetism, right? When the first rookie running back goes off the board, then people are thinking about it. And then a lot of times the second rookie running back goes off maybe higher than he should. And Gibbs going in the third round, I mean, that's as high as guys like Jonathan Taylor and Brees Hall rose to in their rookie years. And those guys were really great prospects. And you were saying to me, Robinson, maybe not even certain to be on their level as a prospect, maybe on, on, on their level. But this idea that Robinson is clearly ahead of them to the degree that the NFL would draft him in the top 20 picks is something that we'll have to see that play out. Because both, obviously, Taylor and Brees Hall are guys who had phenomenal prospect profiles, but still in the second round of the real NFL draft. At any rate, Gibbs doesn't seem like he's this you know top 20 first round real NFL draft type pick. He's more like... I think I've heard you or maybe Pat Corrine describe him as maybe like in the DeAndre Swift mold um, in the early second round potential, you know, from a, from a draft perspective and that type of player. Seeing him go all the way up in the third round feels like a reaction to, to seeing people being really high on Robinson and being willing in a fantasy draft to take Robinson in the top 15. And it starts this floodgate of rookie running backs. Seeing him in the sixth round is an argument for – you know, you want to get exposure to rookie running backs at this point in the offseason because that's that seems like a much more palatable price. So another one where price is really dependent on, you know, where that player lands. It is. And the thing that you're hoping to get with Gibbs are the receptions. He's been such a dynamic dual threat player in college. He looks like a very high upside play. At this time of the season, you have room for him to to jump quite a bit more and also room for him to get mixed up in some of the things that are problematic. You think back to Travis Etienne, one of the big reasons to draft him was the potential for receptions. And now, you know, we have first an injury as a rookie and then second year, the receptions aren't there. And you're saying, well, this thing that should have been a strength now is the big red flag. You have Kenneth Walker last season, who's drafted down on top of, Rashad Penny, if Gibbs endures a similar fate there, then you know, once all the projections come out and people are looking at what the ultimate volume will be, it gets tricky. Now, again, he's so good, and you're going to get so many receptions if the team that drafts him has any clue what they're doing, that you think that you've got a floor that you can work with and then stealing beyond that, I think we're going to like that pick. But that those are some of the pluses and minuses from his profile and potential scenarios that could occur over the next several months that we have to think of. Then Josh Allen, the 211, Patrick Mahomes, 305, Jalen Hurts, the 307. 
they're the big three here, but then Joe Burrow coming very quickly after in the first pick of the fourth, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert in the fourth, Justin Fields with those crazy rushing numbers in the fifth, and Trevor Lawrence as the breakout guy later in the fifth. So I guess the question for you is, do you like any of those guys? And then my second question is, Kyler Murray, probably not who you want for your reality NFL team. Arizona Cardinals in a lot of turmoil or at least uncertainty right now in terms of what's going to happen. They have said that DeAndre Hopkins will be traded. But I'm Kyler Murray this far behind everybody else in round seven. And this one feels just like the Pat Fryermuth pick where it's so obvious who the best selection in the first 10 rounds is. Well, there's been some reporting that Kyler's rehab, they might take him along really slowly and he might not. I mean, there was a, a tweet that he might not play at all in 2023, that they, they're already sort of setting that line out there that they might just hold him off the field the entire season. And the implication was that our target should probably be something like midseason at best. So Kyler's actually a name that I agree with you, but the hell stuff is, is scaring me in the early off season where it, it just, I want to know more. Maybe that will evolve throughout the off season as he rehabs. But right now they seem as an organization to be setting the ex- expectations low in terms of how quickly he will be back. And again, that might evolve. The other name. So what you're telling me is that not only do we not want to draft him here, but we need to get some trade offers out in our dynasty league to get rid of him. Yeah, we're not going to be able to play him. This is the first thing I thought of was our dynasty league. Is like, yeah, we definitely invested in the right elite, you know, quarterback option. They might not play for a full season. That would be great. The other quarterbacks that you mentioned, the other eight. I mean, I, there's definitely some that I don't like. That's eight quarterbacks in the first five rounds. We talked about how quarterbacks are going to go higher. They go higher in best ball already. They tend to go higher in the early offseason already. We know that all of those things are true, where uh, throughout the offseason, quarterback ADP tends to to fade and settle in a little bit more uh, and, and fall. Every year we've seen this as a trend. And then also once redraft leagues open up late in the year, they tend to go lower than they were going in best ball because – I mean, for obvious reasons. In best ball, you need, number one, you need to draft multiple of them. Number two, you need a little bit more certainty there. You can't stream the position and those types of things. So this is the highest that we'll see the quarterbacks probably. Having said that, eight quarterbacks in the first five rounds is insane. Like, I I, I do realize that the quarterbacks at the top were very, very good this year. I also uh, acknowledge that some of these picks can be justifiable because they can provide the types of ceilings in the, in the modern NFL, these dual threats, the ability to run and throw. Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson is an obvious one. I think he's a really interesting pick at QB6. You don't know where he's going to be playing yet. We do know that he can run for 1,000 yards in a season and still throw for quite a bit. You mentioned Justin Fields, QB7. He runs for 1,000 yards this year. He has to take quite a step forward as a passer, but he has that type of ceiling, right? I don't understand Justin Herbert still going in the fourth round here. I don't understand Trevor Lawrence in the fifth, even with some mobility. Those guys have to have such elite passing numbers to justify this type of draft capital in fantasy. There's still the late round QB tenants still matter. If you're a pocket passer, if you add some mobility, but not a ton, you have to have a 40 plus touchdown season. You have to average close to 300 yards passing a game to differentiate. 
there's there's going to be quarterbacks that go in later rounds that are also going to have good seasons. We saw from like Tua. Tua stays healthier. He winds up being a, a great late round QB. There's other examples. Obviously, Sean Jared Goff's a guy you and I talked a lot about, and I said had no chance to have the season that he had, and you nailed that one. He didn't have an elite elite season, but the gap between what he did and whoever that guy is this year and what uh, just a good pocket passer season from one of these top guys is, is not big enough to justify taking them in the first five rounds. They have to be amazing. And so I do get it with Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes, no receiving help this year and still put up amazing quarterback numbers. We can, we have enough of a sample there. We also have enough of a sample from their play calling perspective. Their pass rate over expected has been, you know, seven, eight, nine percent greater than expected each season for five years now, right? So we have this clear, they're going to be a very pass-heavy team no matter what, even in positive scripts, they're going to be throwing. We're going to get pass numbers out of Patrick Mahomes that can differentiate him, and he adds a little bit of rushing. There's no one else that I feel that comfortable with. I'll throw Joe Burrow in there too. As good as his weapons are, 401, like I think Joe Burrow's awesome, but 401 is like you need him to be the MVP of the league. Like from a passing numbers perspective, he has to put up MVP numbers just to return value at that price. From what we know about fantasy football, I see these prices. The two things I think are, one, if I was going to take any of them, because I don't want to take none, because they are good, I would be more willing to pay the iron price and go all the way up to Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Jalen Hurts in the late second or third, because I think those guys are potentially unique and different than I would to be taking Burrow or Herbert. I mean, Burrow, maybe I would throw in, but Herbert, and again, also him, I like him, maybe, like if I was building a stack or something. Lawrence, certainly in the fifth round, like I'm not taking, I'll probably have zero, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I think Fields is also tough to take as much as I love him. And he does add, you can at least make a case for a ceiling season because he adds so much as a runner. He could do what Lamar Jackson has done in the past and some, you know, in his MVP season in 2019, theoretically, he can at least theoretically match that on the rushing side. But some of these guys I don't even think really necessarily have the full-on ceiling to justify differentiating at a position. I think this is the same magnetism I was talking about with Bijan and Gibbs and how a rookie running back comes off the board. Now another rookie running back. We have some quarterbacks like Josh Allen that you can make the case for going maybe in the late second. I don't want to pay that price, but you can maybe make the case for it after the season he had and the few seasons he's had and the stability in his production that we've now seen. But because now we're elevating him and we're elevating Patrick Mahomes and we're elevating Hurts, you have five more QBs go behind them in the fourth and the fifth round who I don't think have the same profiles to justify that. That's where the mistake is for me. Those are not guys I want to get in on. And then it becomes, I, I see these prices and it becomes really enticing to start thinking about late round quarterbacks, right? You have Jordan Love going quarterback 29 and Aaron Rodgers is all over the news right now as a potential trade candidate. Jordan Love in the last year of his rookie deal, some potential he's a starter next year for the Green Bay Packers. You have Rodgers himself as a guy who could potentially be traded. He's going in the 10th round. I don't love it, but if he gets traded to the Jets or something, like there's a lot of talent there. They could be good. You have Tua going in the ninth round. You have the aforementioned Jared Goff going in the 10th. Trey Lance in the 11th round. Nobody really seems to believe that he's going to be the starter for the Niners next year. Unless they acquire one of the free agents, unless they acquire Aaron Rodgers, for example, because now that Tom Brady's retired and Brock Purdy has a torn UCL and they've said they're not bringing Garoppolo back, I mean, is not Trey Lance their starter next year? I mean, that, that seems like a foregone conclusion already to me 
in some respects, certainly more so than the market, which seems to believe that Trey Lance is not going to be with the Niners next year to too, too extreme of a degree, in my opinion, is the way that I would phrase that. They're just on and on. There are more quarterbacks down the rookie quarterbacks. Bryce Young and CJ Stroud here are going 14th round, 16th round. There are guys that you can take shots on later. Sam Howell, our boy, Sean, going in the 20th. There's other there's other names that are going to start. Your guy, Derek Carr, doesn't have a team. He's going in the 12th right now as QB 21. Even with you know, a ton of QBs going, Carr's going QB 21. Is he not a good candidate for the Jets job or the Bucs job? He's going to start somewhere. So I, I start to get really interested in the in the late round quarterback strategy because I'm looking at this as an opportunity to really load up in the early part of the offseason on deep wide receiver groups and deep and, and even with some potential anchor running backs, some really good running back and receiver groups through seven, eight rounds. And then I can try to hit. But I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I look at this as well. And uh, the other question I would ask you is where's the QB window this year? Because that's something you've done great work on over the years. If eight QBs are going through the fifth round, the QB window, is it shifting up? Is it lower in the QB spectrum? Is it QB 12 to QB 20? Like what, is there a QB window at that point? If QBs are that expensive, how do we think through building later at QB? If, if the, the top eight are going in the first five rounds. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think that part of it will be fascinating as we try and parse some of the different tactical things that you want to do and how shifts can take a strategy that was very important in the past and make it less viable. We talk about the evolution of fantasy and the evolution of ADP and what that means in a lot of cases either won't matter or the changes create very small differences that are somewhat straightforward in terms of how you're going to play them. This is a pretty seismic shift in that once you move quarterbacks from the window up into the range where they're costing you 
foundational pieces at running back and wide receiver, it can't help but change things. And so what we really wanted to do last year was to load up on Burrow and Hertz and Trey Lance. Two of those things worked really well. One of them was a disaster because Lance gets hurt so early. The other part of the window that I think it's really important to emphasize is that the kind of window closing players. So you're looking at quarterbacks 14, 15, 16, 17, the guys kind of going in there and you want to be willing to trust your own board too, in terms of, I mean, if a guy's like one or two spots out of the window by either positional ADP or when you're looking at rounds, but you have them up four or five rounds on your personal board, you're not going to look at the QB window and say, well, this guy that I have, ranked here i'm no longer in a draft that wouldn't be the way that you employ sort of the evidence-based approach you don't want to use it to hurt yourself because then you're going to miss on your guy and frankly the players at the very back of the window last season were huge wins especially if you kind of adjust for the injuries that happened you have tua you have trevor lawrence and you have justin fields all three of those players huge parts of successful teams both in terms of the points that they score for you and what they allow you to do with the rest of your build. And so I, mean, I think 2023 is going to be all about more or less what you just described, which is that you have to find the players at the end of the window. You're going to need to hit on some of those. You're going to need to balance out your overall exposures across some of those guys. You're going to have to look at how they allow you to unlock some week 17 types of options if that part of it is important to you in a tournament. But I think we're going to be looking at guys there. And just as you mentioned, some of the specific players, the names that really jump out right now, you have Daniel Jones and Tua at the end of round nine as QB 13 and QB 14. Jones with his sort of poor man's Josh Allen profile, especially if they put receivers around him. Both of those guys pretty clearly undervalued. You mentioned Trey Lance. He's someone that unless we get different information as you're going along you don't want to be 100 percent. you don't want to be 75 percent. but i mean you have to have some exposure to him as the offseason develops it wouldn't be remotely surprising if he jumps four rounds and then you know you're not going to want the exposure at that point in the same way but the other thing that i think we are going to see and it definitely is the fun part about doing these early drafts Number one, I think that late round QB does become viable this season because there are so many interesting options and because you really are limited with that top group where, I mean, are you going to avoid the top six or seven quarterbacks completely? I don't think so. As you mentioned, you're going to want to get a little bit of exposure and maybe you want to get it at the top. Anytime that you get in a spot in the second or third round where you don't have just a must have pick, you get a little bit of Allen, you get a little bit of Mahomes and you make that kind of work for you but Bryce Young is going to be much more expensive than he is right now CJ Stroud's going to be much more expensive as soon as the Aaron Rodgers trade happens Jordan Love is going to be more expensive he's going to jump into that Mac Jones range and I mean that's a three four round move so you can still profit a ton at that point and then I mean <laughs> I don't want to necessarily even say this, Ben, because we're still trying to pick up Howell shares where we don't have him. And, and you and I have him on our team. But as we do a, an orphan or as we do a startup, I mean, you want Howell to be 
as inexpensive as he can be. But if there's even a 50% chance that he's the starting quarterback for the Washington Commanders next year, his price is ludicrous. Now, one of the things you don't want to do in best ball, you, you can't make a pick and then be like, oh, I was wrong, so I'm going to fill that in with free agency. You don't want to burn a bunch of your roster spots. But Sam Howell, if he starts next season, even if they are extremely run heavy, which is what some of the early reporting suggests they could be, I mean, he's a QB 10 to QB 14. It's almost impossible for him to start and play and not get hurt and be anything less than QB 15. His price is ludicrous. And and Desmond Ritter going one spot ahead of him, if you feel, you know, you, you want a little more certainty. I mean, he looks pretty likely to be the Falcons QB next year, the way that they turn to him late. I mean, those are spots that could be landing spots for some of the free agent QBs, but there aren't a ton of available QBs. I mean, Daniel Jones, you mentioned, I was thinking he's a free agent. There's no certainty he'll be back with the Giants. Maybe, you know, behind the scenes, Dable decided. $40 million um, a year. What's that? Daniel Jones, $40 million a year quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Dable decided that that wasn't his long-term plan, and obviously they found some success with him, but maybe they decided they wanted to go another way. Who knows? But probably, I mean, who are the best free agent quarterbacks? You have obviously Derek Carr, and I think he's the clear one. And then, I mean, is it Jimmy Garoppolo? Like, there's not a lot of depth at the position that I'm immediately aware of in terms of filling a lot of holes and, and some of them are going to be filled by rookies. And we've had a lot of discussion in the NFL draft community about the bears potentially trading back. Is it the Colts who trade up? Is it the Panthers? You know, who's going to, what, what, who's the quarterback going to be? But some of those to the Texans, some of those teams are not going to land CJ Stroud or Bryce Young, obviously. Right. And, you, and maybe Will Levis. I mean, like we, we will have some, rookie quarterback starting next year but i do feel like there's enough space for howell and ritter basically to be starters is what i'm getting at in, in this part of the offseason and jordan love we mentioned as well like people don't think that those guys are actually going to be starters but like who comes for those those roles there's not a lot of answers to that either but it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to sort of see how the offseason goes but i think if you're building you're, I mean, you're, you're taking risky picks. You just talked about with Howell. You don't want to just throw away picks. At the same time, in the early offseason drafts that you're doing, a lot of those late-round receivers and running backs are not going to have jobs next year. They feel more sure than they probably are. You go look at some drafts from January, February of last year, it's a lot of dudes that wound up not even having jobs come the next football season. The – the trade-off, the opportunity is you can take a lot more running backs and receivers that we're pretty confident about going into next football season and then make your gamble at quarterback. And if you are right and those guys start, that's pretty much all you need. Like you said with Sam Howell, all you need to be is the starter in Washington, and this is a ridiculous price. You've built a really strong team for an early offseason build. I mean, I think structural drafting in the early offseason is, is different than any other time. And part of it is just – how do I maximize the amount of players that are going to be actually playing in the NFL season? Got to think through the whole offseason. You got to make a lot of decisions. That is a strategy that I really like, Sean, is this idea of doing a late round quarterback now and probably still into the future. If, if these quarterbacks still remain high, some of them are going to fall, but it seems like we are going to be headed for a year with a lot of quarterbacks going 
higher, the whole position shifting up in a way that's probably not right. There's a few guys, it's kind of like we always talk about with tight end. There was a last year, a big three that we thought had the elite ceilings that were worth targeting. The next one's still very good, but being pulled up a little bit hard to really commit to them at the prices after that. And that more or less panned out. I mean, obviously Pitts and Andrews didn't have incredible seasons. Pitts, people are saying, is the biggest bust of all time. Sure, but Kelsey winds up having the monster ceiling, the elite ceiling, differentiating from the position in a massive way because no one else really could compete with him, even though the Goddards and the Hawkinsons had good stretches. Kelsey was just overwhelmingly the, the tight end one this year, right? And so that, I mean, that phenomenon exists a little bit here at quarterback when I look at these early these early ADPs. And then the flip side of it, when you look at that, you look at eight quarterbacks going in the first five rounds and seven tight ends going in the first five rounds and a few more in the next couple rounds. Wide receiver 19, Sean, in the fifth round, Michael Pittman. Amari Cooper, Drake London, DJ Moore, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Christian Watson. That's the fifth round wide receivers. A lot of other seasons, that looks a lot more like the third to fourth round wide receivers, right? So right now, wide receiver 19 to wide receiver 26 is landing in the fifth round. You only have four receivers on average going in the fourth, only four on average going in the third, only three on average going in the second. There's seven in the first round. So, I mean, there, there are a lot of wide receiver names going in the very first round, but a lot of drafters in the early offseason are, are not willing to necessarily go really wide receiver heavy. Maybe that's fair. Maybe we need to rethink that strategy a little bit, Sean. I, for one, look at this and I go, I want to do a bunch of drafts and I want to draft these wide receiver heavy teams. I want to get DJ Moore in the fifth round and Jerry Judy, your boy, in the sixth round. George Pickens in the seventh round. Marquise Brown in the seventh round. I mean... The receiving cores that you can build with these current ADPs are the types that were as dominant as as could be when you know zero RB was less popular, right? And so that's fun to consider that we might have a season where we don't have to make zero RB work with four other drafters in our draft doing the same thing. And the prices here are just so much more favorable than they were a season ago at the end and in the middle. You think about King Cap winning the $1 million underdog tournament with the perfect team that was a zero RB team. It's a little bit surprising to see how far a lot of these guys are falling. But again, that is what you're going to get when you have the tight end premium and when you have this QB inflation. Then there are so many things I want to go through with you here and ask you about. We'll save them for the next show. But some individual prices that fun to think about. You have Amon Ra in the early second as wide receiver nine. Jamison Williams at wide receiver 37. People disappointed, obviously, that he doesn't really get to play as a rookie. And yet... That gap jumps out to me when we think about how you can get a little bit of arbitrage going there. You have DJ Moore, as you just mentioned, as wide receiver 22 behind Amari Cooper. That one, a little bit difficult to kind of wrap your mind around. As you mentioned, Christian Watson, wide receiver 25. We have Christian Kirk as wide receiver 26 and Zay Jones at wide receiver 49. I like Christian Kirk, but that appears to be one 
where there's some opportunity. We have Terry McLaurin at wide receiver 27 and Jahan Dotson at wide receiver 40. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think that that doesn't flip, but I think that closes when we're up there in August. You have George Pickens at wide receiver 34 and Deontay Johnson at wide receiver 35. Maybe that's going to be more like what I think Dotson and McLaurin should be. But that one too, controversial. George Pickens looks so good, and yet Deontay Johnson, I think a good bounce back candidate, definitely somebody who draws a lot of targets. We have Brandon Ayuk here at wide receiver 31, despite a stretch where they show pretty conclusively what his role is when people are healthy. And kind of with this quarterback question, I think that one is controversial. So a lot of interesting players in terms of how they relate to players on other teams, how they look compared to teammates. Oh, the last one I wanted to mention quickly, you have DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver 15, despite the age and the health and the fact that he could get moved almost anywhere. Some spots would probably be very good for him. Some spots not as good. You have Marquise Brown at wide receiver 33. That gap when we watched Marquise Brown actually be one of the better fantasy receivers in all of football in the early going last year before he got hurt and before DeAndre Hopkins returns. Now that as well, likely a concern about where the Cardinals are overall and what the quarterback play might be like, but a variety of prices on teammates and other interesting players that, I mean, Ben, that's, that's like four or five more shows worth of content. It is. That's great stuff. The the Zay Jones one stands out, but also I think probably drafters are worried about Calvin Ridley coming and taking some of Zay Jones' work and thinking that Kirk probably has a more defined role in the slot. Just trying to think through that one. I'm still with you. I still I mean, And Ridley is wide receiver 29, so he's right in there between Judy and Mike Evans. I mean, that's pretty aggressive on him too. Yeah, that's a, a lot of optimism on Ridley and That'll be one that'll be interesting to track all, all offseason because it's similar to like the Michael Thomas thing. He's missed a lot of time and <clears throat> wasn't particularly good in his five games in 2021 before he left for personal reasons before he was suspended. The last we saw him play at a really high level was 2020, two full seasons ago, three off seasons ago before we will see him again. A lot can happen in that amount of time in terms of you know, whether he's still the same player and the same talent, but I think he's an interesting name, certainly for the Jaguars to have, have gone and acquired and all that. Sean, as you're going through all those, I see Chris Godwin as well, late fourth at wide receiver 18. I thought that was low immediately upon looking at it. You also have Mike Evans, wide receiver 30, going in the late sixth. I mean, Tom Brady is gone. These guys are getting a little bit older, but those are a lot cheaper prices than we've ever really seen for Godwin and Evans, and particularly for Godwin being healthy now. Last year we knew coming in wasn't fully healthy. You were probably going to have to wait a little bit. He looked pretty solid down the stretch and is now healthy. I'm going to like taking Chris Godwin in the late fourth personally, if that's where he settles. But yeah, I thought those were all really interesting ones that you noted. I kind of like taking Amon Ross St. Brown very high. So when you pointed that out, I mean, I also really like the Jameson Williams pick. It's an interesting one to consider for sure. 204 is aggressive for Amon Ra as good as he looked hope that he'll slide a little bit. I think maybe, I think I saw him in the late second in the other one, 
the other the the, the singular draft that I had written about and, and broke down. But yeah, Sean, a lot of interesting stuff you said. There could be a ton of content. Like I mean, you mentioned DeAndre Hopkins, and I immediately he said it could be bad, it could be good. Immediately thought about our pre-show conversation. Where we're talking about what if the Chiefs ever had a player like that because <laughs> they do not um, ever really seem to to land an elite receiver, but. DeAndre Hopkins with Patrick Mahomes next year would be pretty interesting. Don't know that they will go that route a year after trading away Tyreek Hill. I mean, certainly they have had Tyreek Hill in the past, but we were talking more about the like traditional X receiver. They've had Hill, the Meikle, and Sky Moore traded for Kadarius Tony. That we we talked a little bit last show about how Justin Watson was so key to their team being out last game because he actually is that type of bigger bodied vertical threat, even though he hasn't done much for them to not have him was actually noticeable. Even Marquez Valdez Scantling, not really that type of player, but to have somebody like a Deandre Hopkins to play with Patrick Mahomes would, I don't know, probably doesn't need to be explained, but would be pretty exciting. There are, there are positive landing spots is, is what I'm getting at as well, but I'm with you. That's a, that's a lofty price to be paying for him right now at his age. I mean, there's, so much we could continue to go on. We barely touched on the rookies. We talked about the running backs a little bit, but the rookie receivers look to be good targets early on that is worth mentioning before we wrap up this show. I think the first rookie receiver is in the eighth round. So you have Quentin Johnson there, Jackson Smith and Jigba also in the eighth, Jordan Addison in the ninth. You get Zay Flowers in the – all the way back in the twelfth. But, yeah, I mean, you have – Certainly some opportunity to get some exposure to those rookies before they, I would guess, rise a little bit by August. Probably see them in the sixth or seventh if they get first-round draft capital, the top ones. So a lot that we could discuss there. I like those arbitrage uh, opportunities you pointed out, though. Those are good ones. And now that you've mentioned the Hopkins thing, that's going to be the only thing I'm able to think about the rest of the day. But I will close by noting that because the poor quarterback play and how that can hamper your team and destroy some of your early picks. And it's so emotional. I think there can sometimes be an overreaction where stars like a Godwin an Evans, you know, that type of player is a little bit overly discounted. Ben, am I remembering correctly? DJ Moore, did he uh, in the starting lineup for the $2 million team? He was. Yeah, our, our buddy Pat Green did have DJ Moore, and he did have a solid game and, and cracked the lineup. I so don't want to talk about take DJ away, Moore. Takeaway from 2022 is, I mean, DJ Moore is $2 million. Yeah. Just directly, directly the direct cause. Sean, we're going to silently draft DJ Moore in every draft and not speak a word about it and hope that he stays in the fifth round. You might not agree, but I want to take him in every single draft at that price. So you are all aboard the Frank Wright train. I mean, I think Frank Wright's a good coach. I think DJ Moore is still a very good player who it's getting old, but is continuing to be held back by his surroundings. The fact that he actually scored a few more touchdowns this year was, I think, promising because if you wanted to have one major concern, it was the fact that over four years, he basically had never scored any touchdowns. It get, gets a few more in and, and this idea that like, okay, maybe you could just be average in terms of your touchdown rate is a little bit more believable at this point. 
if they get any type of quarterback in there, I still think there's a great season in DJ Moore or multiple great seasons. There are players that have taken five years into their career where they've been good in hindsight, but never great. And we, I say in hindsight because eventually they became great. And then we look back and we go, yeah, they were always good. They were always held back. There's a lot of players like that. Not a ton, but there are guys that we can point to. It remains to me very possible that DJ Moore goes on not to have like a hall of fame career, but to have a very, very good career. And most of it started after, you know, he turned 26 because of everything that he's done so far, despite really never having any help around. So yeah, I'm, I'm in on DJ more in the fifth round. There you go. We got, we got, what we wanted a Ben Gretsch prediction of the Stefan Diggs jump for DJ Moore with Frank Reich and a mystery QB leading the way. That's going to be stealing bananas for today. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. Follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you sign up for Ceiling Signals for more of the offseason content, like the recent article that we have been discussing. Make sure you also sign up for Ceiling Lines, his betting project with Dalton Cates. You can join us over at Rotoviz and even get 10% off on your one-year subscription using the coupon code RVRADIO2023 at checkout. Ben, it helps us when folks subscribe to the feed when they leave a rating review on Apple Podcasts, when they subscribe to the YouTube channel, when they leave a little comment there. You guys have been so great with all of those things. The Stealing Bananas community is fantastic. We love you guys. Talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.